Dear loving and heavenly Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray that you may take us away from any tiredness we might feel from a late night last night, that you may uh, take us away from any distractions, but to really focus on the birth of Jesus and to really make the Spirit powerful in our lives to know what that should mean for us. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, today, I want to ask you a question. <clears throat> have you ever had a life-changing experience? You know, think about it. Have you really had a, a life-changing experience? And what would that be? Uh, maybe you haven't. Huh? I mean, for some people, life-changing experience can be, I was just thinking to myself, can be like a birth of a child. You know, uh, for me, that was a life-changing experience. I remember after my uh, children were born, right, about uh, exactly about half an hour later, I started thinking, I think I better start saving some money, right? Uh, I think I better, not start, I better not buy all those magazines and watch all those movies and all the CDs that I want to buy. I better start saving it. I better buy some insurance. I need to do all these things, right? So the birth of my children were a bit of a life-changing experience. Maybe for some other people, uh, I, when I see my relatives, a life-changing experience could be uh, a sudden illness, you know, sudden terminal illness. And when they recover, you find that they're a lot more health-conscious in the way that they live. Maybe the doctors can tell us, you know, when people get sick and they get better, they are a lot more serious about their health. For some other people, it can be the appreciation of a relationship. You know, they, they, you, you can lose a relationship and get that relationship back. And then you value that relationship a lot more. So I'm wondering, when you think about it, does anybody ever see Christmas as a life-changing experience? Probably not. I don't think anybody actually says to you, you know, for me, Christmas is a life-changing experience. Uh, I mean, uh, unless you receive some wonderful present, right? Uh, it wouldn't be a life-changing experience. Because from the way that the world looks at Christmas, it's just like any other holiday. Uh, it's a time where you eat, you drink. And uh, really, when you think about it, how can Santa Claus be a life-changing experience, right? Uh, how can Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer or Christmas trees be a life-changing experience? It just can't. But today, I want to bring us back to the heart of Christmas because if we understand Christmas then it should be a life-changing experience for us. So today, um, we're going to have a sermon which is slightly shorter than the rest, but no less impactful, okay? Now, if you look here with me, let's look first of all to this person called Simeon. And turn to me in your Bibles to verse 25 to verse 26. Okay, so anybody need a Bible? You can put it in your hands. Anybody need a Bible? No? Verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now the first thing uh, we find out in this passage is as we come to the introduction of Jesus we are introduced to this person called Simeon. We never hear about him anymore. This is where he's mentioned in the Bible. And we are if you notice about it, not told very much about him. We are not told how old he is. We presume he's an old man because he's going to die soon. But we're not told how, how old he is. We're not told whether he's rich or poor. Uh, we're not told, really told what job he does. So we're not told anything about his social condition, his economic condition, his physical condition. But we're told a lot about his spiritual condition. It says here in verse 25 that he was righteous and he was devout. Now, these are very rare words in the Bible, especially when they're found together. In fact, the whole Bible is only used twice. In the Old Testament, it's used to describe Job. 
He's righteous and devout. And in the New Testament, it's used to describe John the Baptist's father, Zechariah. He was righteous and devout. But when you put these two words together, basically, it means that there's someone who is very serious about God. He's very serious about the things of God. He's very serious about pleasing God in his life. So, he's this guy who is a very serious person about God, he's looking forward to something. He's waiting for something. And in verse 25, it says, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. That's what it says there in the second half of verse 25. The consolation of Israel. Now, what does it mean, the consolation of Israel? Uh, is it the same as like, you know, when your soccer team is losing 5-0, right? Like Real Madrid to Barcelona or something. And you score a goal and it's, oh, a consolation goal, right? What does it mean that he was waiting for the consolation of Israel? Well, the word consolation literally means to con- to comfort someone, right? You know, I, I console you, right? Maybe you're in pain, you're suffering, you're sad. I console you, I comfort you. And usually the idea of consolation is you, you comfort someone. But the idea of consolation here is the idea of relief, release. Okay, so here I've got my, my props today. Where's my... Oh. See, uh, because Janyang made fun of me last year in the church camp, I'm more ecologically conscious now. I, I don't bring plastic, you know, I recycle back. So here, I've been sick this week, so I've been taking Panadol, right? And Panadol, it says here, is relief, pain relief. And it brings relief because it takes away the pain, right? And that's, I think, the idea of consolation here. There is consolation because he's looking for relief. He's looking for release. The release or the relief which come from consolation. So here, he's looking forward to relief or consolation, but we're not sure what sort of relief or release He's actually looking forward to. But we find it when we look at the person Jesus. He's looking towards God for consolation. Because if you look at me from verse 21 to 23, there's this strange ceremony which, is, um, which brings Joseph and Mary to Jerusalem. Okay, so you look at me to verse 21 to verse 23, and there's this strange thing where they're, they're, it says there in verse uh, 22, right? When the time of their purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer sacrifice in keeping with what was said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now why was Jesus brought to the temple, this is probably 40 days after he was born, to be presented to the Lord. Well, 1,500 years from then, that, that time, Simeon's time, God had done a great miracle. He had brought Israel out of Egypt. He had rescued Egypt, uh, sorry, Israel out of Egypt when they were in slavery. And what he said was this, uh, it's found here, okay, in Exodus chapter 12, that in order for them to remember what God had done, and remember the last miracle that God did? He had delivered the firstborn of every child of Israel because they were to daub blood on the door of their doorposts. Well, God had said after he had done that last miracle and he would saved their firstborn that they must consecrate their firstborn or give their firstborn to God but then they can buy, the, buy their firstborn back by giving a sacrifice. Okay, so it's like you're giving it to God but then God says you can have it back because you've given me the sacrifice. So this is what it says here in Exodus chapter 13. All the Israelites did, what, did just what the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron. 
And on that very day, the Lord brought the Israelites out of Egypt by their divisions. Okay, that was a great miracle that God had done. He rescued them, right? He released them from slavery. Chapter 13. The Lord said to Moses, Consecrate to me every firstborn male. The first offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs to me, whether man or animal. Then Moses said to the people, Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. So, when we look here, in Luke chapter 2, that's what's happening. It's 40 days since the birth of Jesus. Uh, Joseph and Mary bring baby Jesus into the temple and it's to commemorate what God had done when they rescued uh, Israel 1,500 years ago. So here, already we know that when Simeon is looking to a consolation from Israel, he's looking to God to do what he had done 1,500 years ago, which was to rescue his people, which was to release his people. Now when you think about it, it's kind of a bit strange, isn't it? Because, when you look at this next slide, what does uh, Simeon see? All he sees is a little baby, right? Uh, this is the youngest baby picture I could find on my, uh, my, my Microsoft office. I don't know how old the baby is, but it looks pretty old, right? Now, if you go to Thompson Medical or NUH or KK Hospital, all the 40-week-old babies, uh, 40-day-old babies look like this. 40-week, a lot older, right? 40-day-old babies look like this. Now, there's really nothing special about looking at 40-day-old babies. Right? I mean, if you look at the baby, can you see whether this baby is going to become a doctor when he grows up? No. Is he going to be a professional soccer player? Don't know, right? Is he going to be uh, a teacher, a soldier? No one knows. But in this passage, God right, brings Simeon to see Jesus and he helps Simeon to see what Jesus really means. And that's why I think this passage is so important for us because it's not just about baby Jesus, but who Jesus is, who he really is and what he means to be for us. So turn to me to verse 27. Right? It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he's looking for the Messiah. Looking for the Messiah to rescue Israel. Moved by the same Holy Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law was required, which was to consecrate the baby Jesus. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Now what does Simeon see when he sees this baby? He doesn't see a baby like all the other babies. He sees the Messiah. He sees the King. But more than that, verse 29 to verse 32 is the heart of what Jesus has come to do. It's the heart of what this baby has come to do. He has come to bring, in verse 30, salvation. Salvation. Verse 32, He is to be a light of revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. Now, what does it mean when all, when all these things come together? What is light, glory, salvation? 
What does it mean when it says Jesus is the light of the world? Uh, what does it actually mean? I mean, we know that light is good, right? Light is better than darkness. Okay, we know that glory is better than shame. We know that save is better than lost. But what is the deeper understanding? What does it really mean in this passage? That Jesus is the light of the world, that Jesus is salvation. Well, again, the prophet Isaiah, who lived 700 years before the birth of Jesus, prophesied that God would bring light into the world. And what did he mean when he said light? Well, here in this passage, right, in Isaiah chapter 49, he says, It is too small a thing for you to be my servant and to restore the tribes of Jacob. To bring back those of Israel I have kept, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. See, light and salvation are interchangeable. Right? To bring light, it's not just to bring like, you know, fluorescent light where you can see. But light means life. Light means salvation. Light means to be brought back into a relationship with God. In chapter 9 of Isaiah, right, this is a prophetic sound which points to Jesus. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness. From that time on and forever, the zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And here we, we see a bigger picture of what it means to be light, right? See, darkness, we're living in the land of darkness. That means that darkness is the opposite of what? This light, this kingdom of light that God is going to bring. Which means, darkness in the shadow of death. Can you see that? The shadow of death, where there's wickedness and sin. But when light comes into this world, we'll be brought into the kingdom of justice and righteousness. So it's not just... Darkness is a physical darkness, I can't see anything, but it's spiritual darkness, separation from God, death instead of life, judgment instead of salvation. And that's why this baby Jesus is not just a baby, he is the light of the world. And that's why when Jesus, 30 years after Simeon died, and I, I mean, it's very deliberate, right? I'm telling you all these dates, 30 years after Jesus died, this is what Jesus said of himself. Okay, next slide. Jesus said, when Jesus spoke to the people again, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to men for, by which we are saved. In Colossians chapter 1 it says, For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption the forgiveness of sins. And that's why the heart of Christmas is that it is about the salvation of you and of me. It is about the light of the world coming to give us light. And that's why it should be a life-changing situation for us. It should be a life-changing experience every Christmas. Because according to God and according to Simeon, what is the most serious threat to humanity? Okay, if you think about it, what's the most serious threat to humanity? Uh, maybe in the 70s and 80s, when I grew up, it was nuclear war. 
After 9-11, maybe it's global terrorism. Um, nowadays, people think maybe it's H1N1 or maybe it's a, you know, some viral or you know, ecological disaster. But in Simeon's eyes, in God's eyes, the greatest threat to humanity is judgment, isn't it? Wickedness, sin, death. And Christmas is God's solution to this problem of darkness. See, God's gift to us is light. Not just light as in fluorescent light or you know, candle in the wind, but real, the light of life, the real light of life. Now, when I was uh, growing up, I was growing up in a time in Singapore where we used to have power failure. Okay, I'm sure some of the older people will know that we have power failure. You know, in Singapore, can you imagine in Singapore there's ever been power failure? Alright, and I remember sometimes you come home at night and then there's no power and there's complete darkness. And I remember, so uh, I recently went home and I dug out my mum's old stuff and uh, we used to use these candles. Right, so you know, I don't know whether you're Older people can remember, you know, you put candles in these things, right? And then uh, also, oh, this is broken. Oh, it's not broken yet. Okay, you have these oil lamps. Do you remember these oil lamps, right? Okay, I don't. I, I, my mom, my mom keeps a lot of things, so I can dig it all out. Okay, so you put these oil lamps and you light it because it is completely dark, right? And those, those days, there's no mobile phone, no, not mobile phone, no. Now when the power goes out, you just have a mobile phone. Why you need light, a candle for, right? And this, I think. The picture that is seen here, isn't it? We're living in darkness. And the light of the world comes, not just like a candle, but to give us real light. And for those of you who have ever been in the blackout, when it's really dark, you really need light. Now the problem for us is, and the problem for the world is, we don't realize that we're living in this spiritual darkness. We don't realize that we're living in this land of death and judgment and sin. And why is that? Because we are blind, isn't it? See, if you are blind, it doesn't matter whether there is no light because it is still dark. And I was going to show you some other passages, but I thought it would be too long. But the Bible has this idea where we are blind because in many ways we are blinded by our short-sightedness. We, we focus only on material things. We don't realize our spiritual condition. We are blind because of our soft-headedness. We think that we are right before God. We don't need Jesus. We're blind because we can only see over the horizon of this year. But we don't realize that there is eternity for us. I wonder if God were to describe us, how would He describe us? Imagine if you were described in verse 25. Okay, look at verse 25. Instead of verse 25 says, Now there was a man in Singapore called you, okay? Who was blah, 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 blah. How would God describe you? Would you say, this person is someone who is serious about God? Now, there was in Singapore a person called you, who was serious about God, serious about the things of God, serious about pleasing God. Because if that describes you, then you would realize how dark a world we live in. Just how far away from God we live in. And if we were like that, if we were like Simeon, we too would be waiting for the consolation Right? We, we too would be looking forward for release and comfort because we, we don't want to live separate from God. We don't want to be living in our sins. And I think that that's why Christmas is a very important time. Is that what do you look forward to in Christmas? If all you look forward to in Christmas 
is the short-term material pleasures, then we are not looking like Simeon for the consolation of Israel, for Jesus, for salvation. What is it that you look forward to? Do you look forward to the things of God? Like Simeon looked forward to those things. A great evangelist in South Africa was uh, quoted as saying, he's one of the, uh, this great evangelist in, in, uh, in, in South Africa called Frank Retief, and he said that if a, a speaker comes to South Africa, this was a, a while ago, he said, if a speaker comes to South Africa and he speaks on liberation theology, you know what liberation theology is? Where people use the Bible to justify political freedom. Right? Political freedom. He said they can fill up the whole stadium of more than 20,000 people because people want political freedom. He said that if a speaker came speaking about prosperity gospel, about how to get rich from the Bible, again they would fill up the stadium full of people because people want to be rich. But he says when you, when you come speaking about Jesus, how he is the light of the world and brings salvation, he says at most you only get a crowd of 2,000 people. Now, that's really sad, isn't it? Because as we've seen in this passage, very clear from Luke chapter 2, Jesus comes into the world as the salvation which has been prepared in the sight of all people. Jesus comes into the world to be a light of revelation for the, to the Gentiles, you and me. He has come into the world for glory to His people, Israel. So, when we remember Christmas, It must be a life-changing experience. And if it is not a life-changing experience, it is not Jesus' fault. It is our fault. Because we do not see Him through the eyes of Simeon. We do not see Him as people who are serious about God and our spiritual condition. I think for me, the big problem is, nowadays people see Christmas like uh, any fairy tale. Because you know, you go to any shopping mall, and there you have Jesus, you know, and a nativity scene, and then right next to Jesus in the nativity scene, you can go and get your photograph of Santa Claus. Right? So people think, what's the difference? Santa Claus, Jesus, all the same, right? And you sort of think, well, you know, Jesus is a bit like a children's story, a bit like um, Snow White, you know, Jesus like Snow White. Quite similar, right? Or Jesus is like, you know, Sleeping Beauty. But actually, when you look at this passage, Jesus is grounded in history. 1,500 years after Israel was delivered out of slavery in Egypt, they were dedicating Jesus to be consecrated before God. 700 years after the prophet Isaiah prophesied of one coming, a son coming unto us, a light, Jesus comes. And Jesus, 30 years after the death of Simeon, says, I am the light of the world. So how is Jesus for you? What is Christmas to you? Is it a life-changing event? Because it must be a life-changing event. It cannot just be an intellectual one. It must change our life. So in conclusion, I was reading a newspaper last week and uh, there was this article about how England lost the World Cup bid for the World Cup Soccer 2018. Anyway, so this guy was writing and he quoted this Liverpool manager called Bill Shanky or Shankly. I think it's Bill Shankly. Richmond is not here, I can't check him. I think it's Bill Shankly. And Bill Shankly uh, made this quote. Uh, it was in the newspaper. He said, Some believe 
that football is a matter of life and death. I am very disappointed with that attitude. It is much more important than that. He said, right? <laughs> now, when I was reading that uh, quote, I was thinking, actually, you could actually insert Jesus or Christmas in that quote, right? Because I think Simeon would say, some people believe that Christmas is a matter of life and death. But he would say, I'm very disappointed that attitude because it is much more important than that. See, when we understand Christmas as Simeon understood it, as God understood it, as the Bible explains it in Luke chapter 2, Christmas is much, much more important than life and death. It is about eternal salvation. It is about eternal restoring of relationship with God. It is about being taken eternally out of darkness. How much more important can it be? So this year, as you uh, contemplate Christmas as it comes in seven days, I want you to really think about the meaning of Christmas and what it really means and how it should impact your life and how it should change the way that you live. Because, yes, it is about the baby Jesus, but what does it mean about the baby Jesus? He's not just any baby that you just find in any hospital. He is the Savior. He is the Christ. He is the light of the world. So let's go to God in prayer. Dear loving Heavenly Father, as we come before you today, help us to be like Simeon, who is righteous and devout, who is serious about your things, serious about, serious about his relationship with you, and he could see the world that it was in darkness. Help us to see that we live in darkness, in sin and rebellion, that we live in judgment and your wrath. And that Christmas is a time where you sent your son Jesus. And that even at 40 days old, the Holy Spirit guided Simeon to baby Jesus. And he could see that he was salvation. That he was the consolation of Israel. That he was the light of the world. And that he could rest in peace. He could go to his death in contentment because he knew that you had sent your rescue of all those who are in sin. So therefore, dear Father, every time we hear a Christmas jingle, we sit under a Christmas tree, we have our Christmas meals, help us to always remember that the real meaning of Jesus, the real meaning of Christmas is that you have rescued us into your kingdom of light and that we are saved for eternity and that that may change our whole life and our perspective. And we pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.